right. Hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Jennifer Reynoso. I'm delighted to have with me here Sebastian Bastidas and Amanda Ponzoa. Welcome to Exploring Art Podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing Jackson Pollock and a specific area of time in 1939 to 1940, Jackson Pollock gave his analyst a series of 43 drawings as a meaning means to expressing himself. The analyst, Dr. Jay Henderson, sold those drawings in 1959 to a San Francisco art gallery, but Pollock's widow, Lee Krasner, objected to having them publicly exhibited. She said, anything that goes on between an analyst and a patient is private, about as private as a confessional. Pollock's widow died in 1985. Should her wishes concerning her husband's drawings be respected, or is it appropriate to exhibit them now? Should her wishes have been respected prior to her death, or would it have been all right to exhibit the drawings despite her objections since she did not own them? Was the analyst justified for selling the drawings in the first place, or should he have kept them and had destroyed at his own death? Do, does the fact that these drawings were part of Pollock's therapy have any bearing on their status as art? So it's a very interesting topic that we have here today, but I think what really um, we need to understand more is, you know, who was Jackson Pollock? Yeah, so, well, Jackson Pollock basically was an American painter known for his abstract style. Uh, he was born in 1912 in Cody, Wyoming, and he grew up in Arizona and also California. Uh, what I think is that he, well, he studied at many art institutions in New York, uh, and he pursued his career as an artist and he developed like his unique style during his life. And that's why he became so remembered and is one of the most important and influential American artists of the 20th century. So his style, funny enough that you mentioned that Sebastian, um, they called it, I believe, radical poured, and then they referred to it as drip. So it would yeah. literally look like, yeah, yeah like yeah. on all of his, on all of his um paintings, and he was considered, I believe, it was an abstract expressionist, and he was really, 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 really famous during this time. Yeah, yeah, I think he was a pioneer, really, for the abstract abstract expressionist. I know that um he fell in love with art when he was in L.A. Um, living in California. And I know by the time he moved to New York, I believe there was a movement during that time um, known as the New York School. It wasn't an actual actual school, but it was these collection of abstract expressionists of which Pollock was um, a big, big part of that. Yeah, he was very influenced by his interest in Native American art and culture. Uh, yeah yeah that's yeah, interesting to see you know all of um the, the legacy that he's had even you know during the time that uh he was alive and even long after his his uh untimely death um but yeah. I know that 
you know, during his his life, I know that uh, it's it's known that he he suffered a lot from depression and was a severe alcoholic. Um, I think I think he's been known as a violent drunk as well. Um, and uh, you know, there's a lot that of course can go into someone who's got some severe addictions. And if I recall, there's a back in 1937, um, he began psychiatric treatment for alcoholism, even suffering a nervous breakdown, which caused him to be institutionalized for about four months. And I believe this is when he started working with uh, Dr. Henderson. And, um, you know, Dr. Henderson was an American physician. He was actually part of what's known as a Jungian psychologist, which I always find psychology to be very interesting because, you know, we're all we're all part of the humanity and it's a lot that goes into what goes into, you know, what what's going on in somebody's world and somebody's brain that's having, you know, we need to release. And I think during his time with Henderson is when um, he really had the opportunity to uh, create some very specific art pieces that we're referring to in this this case study that uh, they even called them the psychoanalytic drawings. I'm sorry, they called them the psychoanalytic yes, drawings. Yes, 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 yes. You're right. Um, and he used those. I I think that these drawings were they were part of his his therapy sessions, not art that he created and brought to therapy. They were actually made. Uh, independently for his therapeutic sessions with Dr. Henderson, um, which an interesting fact about Dr. Henderson is that uh, he actually practiced until he was 102 years old and died at the age of 104, which is like crazy. I mean, definitely, definitely shows a man loved what he did. Um, and, and, and but what about... Pollock's love life. I he was married with another artist, right? He was, yeah, Lee Krasner. Um, she was his wife and and widow. Actually, she was uh, also part of the abstract movement, and her specialty was in collage. Um, but she was also known uh, to be a, a key crusader for Jackson Pollock's legacy. I think that, you know, being in the same sort of profession, she probably had a lot of influence on on his works, you know, during their time that they were together and even seems maybe after he was even gone. Yeah, yeah. and even even though the Krasner's paintings after marrying Pollock it became more abstract, uh, featuring bold colors and gestural brush strokes so this means that they after they, like they had influence in how they viewed art and this helped like to develop their styles in a bigger way yeah so they had such um unique styles that actually during the time that they had both kind of like started like making their imprint on the art world they were both so like ostracized and kind of pushed aside and I remember reading that during this time where neither of them really had like an actual place in the art world they would mm -hmm. like give each other so much support until 
um jackson made it first and then eventually she became famous and they like to get on together which is amazing right that's what you want in in a partner and in a relationship especially when you're in the same field you know that's gotta that had to have been a really special moment for them to not only be falling in love but also you know uh finding finding their name in the art world as well you know i read one i read a quote um in the the moma from krasner that said um it was like a bomb that exploded nothing else ever hit me that hard until i saw pollock's work so to imagine as a you know woman who sees this guy's art and then ends up falling in love and marrying him has it's got to wear bear a lot of weight you know yeah they so must they have had a very special through, marriage they actually met through um a mutual friend who was also an artist john graham and the first time that they met each other was at one of his um exhibitions when graham introduced them and she saw the work and she was like like you said jen just like completely like blown away by him which like what a beautiful way to meet the yeah. person you spend like the rest of your life with right like, yeah and good for her you know it's like you she saw something and wanted it and went for it and i guess i can you know i can see why um when you are so invested in someone you have such a life with them um that you know you want his work respected in after his afterlife, you know, even though I do know that um, from things of reading about them that, you know, towards their end of their marriage, they were actually sort of like separated. Um, she went back to uh, Paris, I believe, for um, some separation of the two. And actually, it was during that time that she was in Paris that uh, Pollock um, got into the accident where he was driving drunk and all and his untimely death that occurred with it uh, but I can think of how someone might feel in that situation where you're you're coming back from overseas and having to lay to rest your husband and um, you know wondering what's going to happen after this what happens now so she actually moves back in to his house and she would use like his barn studio to create like some of her more famous paintings, which like there's such like a like sad, like poetic feel to that. Like after your husband dies to go back and then create like some of your most famous artwork after he dies in the place where he used to work. Like what a story. You know, what a story for sure. I can only imagine the thoughts and the feelings that were just coming out through her art and but it goes to show like does that bear weight right does her feelings of what happens um in their life you know does that have does that bear weight to her wishes for what happens to his artwork after you know and i think that there's a lot to understand as well um you know like what what was happening during these times you know like what was the world like back in 1939 or 1940 when Jackson Pollock was having you know going through this therapy yeah yeah I believe there were like complicated times with all the world war starting uh, there was like a lot of problems around Europe especially that also involved the United States so I believe that 
were hard times. A lot of people died. So getting to know a person and having to suffer all of that during those times must have been very difficult. Mm. But then maybe when these two met and they have this beautiful marriage, they would have like their company and they would be happy in hard times. Yeah, I mean, that has to be, it had to be a hard time for the world. I mean, from the, and you know, the Great Depression and World War II and all of the chaos that probably has, I can only imagine that comes around with it. And then from for somebody like Pollock, who already suffers from depression and alcoholism, like how does that affect you in your day-to-day life you know um I do know that um Jackson Pollock was having he did have or he was part of um I believe it was can't remember now it's going to come to me uh but after the great depression he was actually given a position where he was able to have some financial stability but also um you know have able to express his work and his art and create and have it you know kind of broadcasted on a larger scale but how does that tie into you know what was going on in the world and do does the one affect the other um almost like you know is it is it fair in a way I think what you referred is that he worked in the administration of federal arts project from yes, 1935 that's the one. to yeah. 1942. Right, correct. Yes, yes, yes. Which, you know. Well, yeah, he was settled like somehow, but still he was suffering like from his mental health. Yeah. And I mean, too, you know. Um, it, it's it's kind of you know I know that he you know being institutionalized maybe had a lot to do with him going into therapy but I also think that during that time you know uh, therapy wasn't like it is today it wasn't as well known it was you know people were much more hesitant during that time to seek therapy especially psychotherapy was uh there was a lot of misconceptions around it and a lot of judgments from society um and i think that you know even now or you know it's it's not as normalized as it was back then um so it's it was definitely a different thing i think for a lot of people to have that type of of or seek that type of help during that time yeah, I believe like during that time, there wasn't like a, a specified treatment for people who had any mental illness. Like, so it wasn't taken into consideration that there could be a, like it could be treated for someone who had problems or who was mm-hmm. suffering depression or something similar. So during those times with all the wars and all of that, eh, there was like these theories that started to pop out that was when psychology took like a turnaround and people started believing in it and people starting being treated and things were created during that time to help these people who had any mental itch. Which I can only imagine like during this time with everything going on, 
how much like stigma was probably built around psychology at first, like the comments that were said or like when someone was diagnosed or prescribed with something because during this time, so many new drugs were coming out for Mm -hmm. different treatments. I remember that um, for bipolar disorder, they actually came out with a specific drug. And at first everyone was just so hesitant to even like consider taking something. So I can only imagine like what was said the comments that people like had to like endure during that time, especially when they were diagnosed. Right. Yeah. And considering that, you know, um, Dr. Henderson's approach approach with this uh, Virginian psychology and, you know, that it was a much more robust, it had, it had, it, it influenced Pollock and and I think uh, changed his work from from that. Um, he became a lot more semi-abstract and had a lot of influences from like artists like Pablo Picasso and uh, John Miro and Jose Orsico, I think his name was. Um, but it was a, a lot about exploring the unconscious and influenced a lot of his time or his work during that time, which I guess, you know, considering what, what this is about, right. The, the, the paintings that Pollock gave to Dr. Henderson during this time, you know, technically in a legal aspect of it, right. They belong to him. Those are his. So, is it right? What 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 is the morally right thing to do um, in an art world? Do you say to yourself that the world needs to see these what you know these these works well, of art? What was going on, or is it something that his widow's wife you know should have been respected? What do we think? I believe that ethically, it was maybe incorrect. Like the point where when Krasner mentions that uh, there's privilege about these paintings, uh, it's true. Yeah. But when it comes to terms of legacy and living like a like an important legacy of all Pollock did during his life and his talent with paintings and with art, like his legacy couldn't have been would be inexistent if it wasn't thanks to Dr. Henderson. Because when all these paintings came out, it's the legacy he left during all his life. Definitely. I'm so like half and half on the subject too, because as someone who works in mental health, the first, well, one of the first things that they teach you is like client confidentiality, patient confidentiality. But then like looking back on the actual art, it's like, how do you not put this out there? How does the world not ever see this? So it's like so like controversial on both sides because it's like how do you like break that confidentiality where you're like yes like although this person wrote this and said this and drew this at this time I now want to put it out there like forget the ethics code forget this forget that but then it's also like how do you not do that you know like it's so contradicting. But also it's like did he you know was this was it was it more focused around the art or was there financial gain that came from it you know what uh I mean there's a lot of questions of what we won't that we you know 
may never know, but it's, um, you know, I agree with that. It's like, there is that confidentiality, you know, if, if you're in, you know, patient with a patient, what's to say, like, if I'm, what I'm expressing in my sessions, what if I don't want the world to see that, you know, but on the contrary, I agree. Like, uh, is it, it, is the world better off having it? and seeing it and growing from it. Maybe there's other people who were going through the same things or feeling the same feelings and having to be able to, you know, view something so influential, does it, you know, it could, it could come and have a lot of good versus, you know, just having the upset feelings of this is private and it should just stay private. Yeah, which also comes to like, okay, maybe it wasn't a financial gain or like, oh, maybe the world needs to see this art. Maybe it was also on the psychology topic of like, maybe this could be, or this could make for some really useful research in our world, in my field, with my patients, like with other patients. So, I mean, I do somewhat get like the need to go against like Krasner and be like, okay, like I'm going to put this out regardless. Yeah, you know, I guess, well, there's there's always that the beauty of it is to create a conversation too you know and and how um I can feel for her as a as a wife I think about you know what would I want in that situation I don't know if I would want my husband's personal ideas out there work out there it's it is confidential but at the same time it didn't really belong to her so it's not, it wasn't her choice at the end of what to really do with it. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of good that did come out of it. And I think that, you know, we can, we can focus on the positive of what it brought um, versus the negative. Well, I believe that in terms, if it was like for financial gain, it would be totally wrong in terms of yeah. Dr. Henderson doing it to become wealthy. Yeah, because using someone's work that isn't even yours, like it's good his work, so you're just gonna sell it. Okay, that's very bad. Yeah, but I if agree. He thought, if he thought like, wow, his work yeah. is amazing, like people should see it, people should admire Pollock's work, like he loved art, he was very enthusiastic about it, and we should like show the people his work for him to have a, like a good legacy. That's good. Yeah. But in terms of financial gain, that's totally wrong. And what totally you wrong. about the patient confidentiality broken br- like break it just for money, it's it's wrong. I agree. Yeah, like Jen said, like as a wife, when I think about like if that were to be my husband and I were to be in like Krasner's position, I would be like the same way. Like if it were to be about like leaving my husband's legacy behind and just like letting people know like what he went through or what he experienced through his art I would be totally okay with it but like for someone else's financial gain to expose my husband like absolutely not yeah just seems like seems wrong (laughs) just seems wrong on, on a lot of levels um but there's more there's always more than meets the eye and and I think that uh the paintings are out they are there for for everyone's viewing so um it's always interesting to to 
take a look at them and make your make your own opinions of what you think the right or wrong thing should have been. Yeah, that's true. Well, it happened like many years ago. Of course, there's like a lot of, uh, how do I say it? Mm, like problems bringing it, all these painting out, these paintings out. Like, uh, Kresner must have suffered a lot because she wasn't, she didn't approve. Uh, but still, it's good work. It's legacy. Uh, he's still one of the most influential artists during his time. So I guess maybe if these works wouldn't have come out, he would be non-existent nowadays. Yeah. Or maybe not as well known, so. Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely out there for a reason. Yeah. Um, and they'll be out for many more, many, many more years to come. So everyone can enjoy his work that is well-deserved to be out there in the universe. Um, thanks so much for joining us today, uh, Sebastian and Amanda. I appreciate it. This concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Art Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon. And remember to stay curious. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.